it's time to get reconnected. Tune in every week to Enneagram Restored Podcast for Reconnected, a relationship series on how the Enneagram can be a bridge between your relationship goals and the current reality of your relationships. Welcome back to another episode of Enneagram Restored Podcast. I'm your host, Braylon Williams, and thank you for listening. If you're new to the podcast, I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes, you know? Check us out. Um, But today is all about type sixes and how they love, um, about the compatibility with each of the nine types, and how they can become reconnected with themselves and others. Okay, so as always, I, I want to start off this episode with talking about how a six expresses love. What I want to talk about what the motivations behind their love is. So the motivations behind a six's love is one, the need to feel safe, two, the planning, the desire, the ability to plan for the worst, um, which is the sixes way of managing anxiety by imagining and 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 planning for their, the worst possible situations by doing this they they kind of manage their anxiety there and their love is also motivated by um their disconnection from productive thinking which don't be dismayed sixes actually embrace productive thinking but they just don't know how or where to start to um within themselves in order to think productively so um but to help explain the need that a six has to feel safe i want to read you an excerpt from the path between us by suzanne stabile each type's passion or sin and their way of seeing the world can be can sometimes be so strong that it determines their choices. Sometimes the passion is just an obvious expression of non-productive behavior. At other times, all Enneagram numbers can lose themselves in its graphs. This is especially true and important for sixes. Their passion is fear, and that can escalate exponentially in a myriad of ways. We all experience fear in ways that are associated with our types. As a two, I am afraid people won't want me. Nines are afraid of conflict. Eights are afraid of being controlled. But for sixes, fear itself is the preoccupation 
And they are always asking, what if? Phobic sixes tend to give into fear. They are more malleable in relationships with people who are aggressive and sure of themselves. Counterphobic sixes try to overcome their fears. They are distrustful of people who have too many answers and come on too strong, so they tend to want to find their own way. And many sixes have many sixes are a combination of both phobic and counterphobic, depending on circumstances. Both are anxious, but phobic sixes give into the anxiety and get lost in imagining all the ways the worst could happen. While counterphobic sixes expect the worst and expend the energy and expend the same energy making a plan for it. We all have a strong need for control when we're afraid, but other numbers don't share the same need to feel safe. Sixes appreciate order, plans, and rules because they all provide a modicum of security. We feel safe when there is little or no chaos, when life is running smoothly and things are happening like they're supposed to be, or like they're supposed to, but relationships are messy. They have far too many variables to always run smoothly. So there are times when a six's need to feel safe trumps relationships. Wow. This need to feel safe is so great within a six that no matter how intimate in a relationship that they desire to be, if they don't, if they can't, interact with this need, if they can't feel this need, if they feel like their safety is at risk, they will disband any and all relationships that um, threaten their safety. So powerful. All right, now let's talk about what limits a six's love. Um, so a six's love is limited by their underestimation of priorities and commitments. Their love is also limited by their ability to forgive and forget. And I, I, again, here's another quote from The Past Between Us by Suzanne Seville that I really love how she puts it. She says, they tend to believe that they can protect themselves by remembering hurts and disappointments. So forgiveness is difficult because it makes them feel both vulnerable and powerless. Forgiveness is difficult because it makes them feel both vulnerable and powerless. As an eight myself, I, I really relate to this because vulnerability and not having control um, of life is a big thing for me. Like. I'm so hard as an eight myself for me to really be open about my life. It's like, okay, I and I don't know. For me, it's a little bit of everything of why I'm not vulnerable. I, I notice for the most part, it, it my vulnerability um, relies heavily on two things. One being, all right, I don't feel like it's necessary to burden other people with my needs when I can figure it all out myself. And two, it goes back to that sense of control, uh, for me at least, is that, all right, if I, one, if I tell people my my problems, they might take over and try to control my problems when it really should be up to me as a human being to um, decide which path I'm going to take to bring a solution to my problems. And then at, at the same time with control is that, 
okay if I tell people then I feel like I've lost control of the situation because if it's gotten so bad to where I couldn't just hold it into myself anymore. So therefore, I told somebody and I've lost control of my life. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know how much of that rings true for a six, but I know that's some sentiments with the eight. I know that, that they kind of, in that sense, kind of correlate a little bit um, in vulnerability and control um, and having power over situations. So, um, but a Lastly, a six's love is also limited by trust. Um, trust within a six relationship is a big thing. Um, and I don't want to, yeah, I'll just stop right there with that one. I um, don't want to dive too deep into that one. So just know that a six is limited by their underestimation of priorities and commitments, meaning that um, they underestimate the more, more of the time aspect of their priorities, commitments, how long it's going to take them to complete a priority or commitment. Um, then they're um, limited by their ability to forgive and forget. And they're also limited by their ability to trust um, people in their relationships. So, yeah, that, that that's kind of how, that, that's the sphere of love of a six, um, you know, they're I would dare to say that a six is probably the most simplistic but also complicated complex type of the Enneagram. That that's just my personal opinion. Don't don't shoot me. But I, that's what something I will I will put I will put my foot in the alligators mouth that far to say all right a six is a very simplistic person but at the same time they are probably the most complex person of the universe i'll stake my foot and a gator's mouth on that so i just want to pause where we are and we've covered a lot let's just take a moment to breathe Let's close our eyes and just breathe in deep and sense where we are. Feel the feel the breath as you inhale deeply and feel your feet against the floor and just feel your environment around you. So great. Oftentimes we rush through life and we soak in all this information. And so I just really wanted to make it a point throughout this series and even at next season uh, of life. And e even as this podcast continues, I just want to make it a point for not only me, but for also those around me to just take a moment throughout your day and just Breathe. Allow yourself to be grounded through just feeling the environment. Now, I know we only taking a short time of breathing here, but I encourage you to take even longer. Take five minutes, 10 minutes, as long as you like to just make it a part of your daily schedule to just take a moment in the quietness 
and breathe deeply. Allow yourself to be grounded in, in life. Allow, you, allow yourself to feel your feet touching the ground, your breath entering in and out of your lungs. Just a moment to be grounded in the business of life. I am so grateful for everyone's support. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. But if you're not already subscribed to Enneagram Restored Podcast, don't forget to follow and subscribe Enneagram Restored Podcast to be notified of each new episode that is released. So let's talk about the most to least apparent love languages, five love languages in a type six. Now, usually I, I spend a decent amount of time um, discussing this. Um, I usually provide a ranking that I talk about a little bit, but it just doesn't feel, it, it doesn't feel right, honestly. Um, it doesn't feel necessary for this episode to really dive into this. So in this episode, unfortunately, I'm just going to give you the ranking of the most least apparent love languages in a type six, and then we're going to move on to the next segment because that that just feels like the right course of action for this episode. All right, so forgive me if you want to know more about about what I think about this. Um, feel free to um, DM me on Instagram at Instagram Restored, um, and I'll be glad to talk to you more. And maybe maybe I'll do a bonus episode sometime in the near future that really dives into this. Um, just this aspect of a sixes life more. So, but today I just want to provide you the ranking and then move on to the next segment of the episode. So what that ranking is, is this. Number one, quality time. Two, acts of service. Three, physical touch. Four, words of affirmation. And finally, the least apparent love language within a six is gifts. So, All right, I want to do a little bit of a throwback, but I, I feel like this throwback is kind of necessary because as we are wrapping up, I mean, this is the um, one of the final episodes of the Reconnected Relationship Series. And so um, I want to talk briefly about a, a, a TikTok video that I found a while back. Um, now, um, this, I found this video a couple months ago. Um, and was posted by a lady who goes by the um, TikTok handle Royal T Living, um, and it, it's just a video of um, her high school teacher back in 2017 talking about the difference of being in love and the and between the difference of to love somebody. Um, and I talked about this as well in episode 10 of this uh, of season two as well. And so, but like I said, I thought it just was so fitting, fitted. And so um, it just felt right that um, talk about this again as we're winding down um, the Reconnected Relationship Series um, um, within these next couple of weeks. So um, let's, let's take a moment and listen to the audio clip from this video. I think being 
in love is more like uh, be in the spirit of something. Being in love deals more so with how I feel. It has everything to do with superficial happiness and this and that. I'm, I'm in love. You know, my heart flutters when I see you. I'm, I'm in love. The spirit of love is in the air and yeah, I'm just so head over heels, right? But its surface is superficial because you can be in the spirit of love one day and if that person really hits the right button, you'll be completely out of the spirit, right? So you won't, your heart won't flutter. You'll have some other things going on when you see that individual, right? However, that's being in love, but to love, that's completely different. That has something to do with my will, my mind, and my emotions. Choosing to be fully committed and vested in another individual, period. That ain't about what's happening, what's not happening. It's not about what you do or don't do. To love is a choice, conscious, mind, body, and spirit. I'm in it, and I'm in it for the long haul. I got you. I got you back. You don't have to worry about it. In love is superficial. You can feel that feeling, and, and, and a lot of times we search for that as an indicator of whether or not the relationship is good. But it's not. It's not the main indicator. It's not, because that peace comes and goes. You know, I can be, I can have that feeling of being in love, but what happens when that wears off? Does my mind and my will and my heart still choose to be sold out to you, even when I'm not in love or in the spirit of love? If the answer to that question is no, you don't love it. <laughs> Period. Now, everything that this teacher says in this video is very correct and is very um, valid points that are so pointedly said. Um, and I don't want to dispute anything that she said. I, I just want to offer a deeper level of clarity to it. Um, so in this video, she, she mentions in love as being superficial and to love as being committed through it all. Um, so what she calls in love, I often refer to as the infatuation period. Um, now, the infatuation period is statistically proven. And what it is, is, is that it's typically two years of where no matter what happens in the relationship, no matter what someone does, how they offend you in the relationship, you're, if you are infatuated with them, if you're in love with them, um, you will want to come back to them every single time. Uh, so generally speaking, again, this is proven to be average about two years. And so a, a lot of people who deal in the relationship realm a, a lot like I do or like Dr. Gary Chapman or um, relationship coaches or um, therapists that if they're a good therapist, they'll know about this infatuation period uh, where it's typically say if it if you can get back get past two years then the relationship is pretty good but then you have to decide where do you want the relationship to go all right and so if after two years of dating someone or having feelings for something you can still have solid feelings from them that that, that that's when you switch from being in love infatuation to in love to to love and which is this choosing to be committed to the relationship. So uh, 
I always make this strong point before I when somebody asks me for advice, they're like, oh man, Praylin, I have see me and this girl, we've been talking, we've been talking. I'm like, all right, how long have you been talking? Oh, a few months. Okay. So you have not, I, I tell them about this. I tell them about the infatuation period. I'm like, so typically we have, as human beings, there's this two-year period of where we're infatuated that no matter what happens, we want to come back to this person. And that's what this infatuation period is. And it's this. And if you get past that two years and you still want to be with this person, then you know this is a relationship that you should work on. And I mentioned this to him as a, as a disclaimer. Um, and so the reason why I want to talk about this video, though, is because it is something that I believe it is something that I always echo when I give advice. It's something that is pointed towards dating relationships, but it is also applicable to friendships. It's applicable to family relationships. If you aren't willing, if you are not choosing to be committed to a relationship, then why be in the relationship. If you're just there for the feel good moments, why be in the relationship? Because relationships should be dynamic, not static. They should build you as individuals and as a couple. On um, your friendship should build you as individuals and as a friend couple. Your dating relationship should build you as an individual and as a dating couple. Your marriage should build you should build you as individuals and as a married couple. Your family should build you as individuals and as a family couple. There is no point to be in a relationship. And I'm taking off my Enneagram hat here and my podcasting hat here. I'm going straight preacher mode here. There is no point in being in a relationship if you're not going to build it. Think about it as Jesus Christ. Jesus would not have died on the cross if he did not want to build us as individuals, if he did not want to build a relationship with us. What was the point of him dying if he's just like, there's no point in building us this relationship. There's no point in working on them because they will always fall. They will always go back to their ways. But instead, Jesus said, no, people fail sometimes, but they can always come back. I want to build a relationship with, with them that says, all right, no matter how many times you fail, I'll always be here to love you. I'll always be here. You may not see it. You may not know it at times, but I'm always here. You can always come back to me. Why be in a relationship if you're not going to work on it? Be committed. And I just spilled my coffee. That's how passionate I am about this. <laughs> um, I don't know what other way to say it. So, be committed. If you're asking now, if you're thinking in your mind now, Braylon, is it not possible for me to be committed from the get-go? I don't have to wait until this so-called infatuation period is over, do I? You don't. But I want to say this. You can be committed from the moment that you accept a relationship with somebody. But 
no matter where what, what type of relationship that is, there's going to be this quote unquote infatuation period for dating. It, it, it is solely, oh, they give you heart flutters. They make you get butterflies in your stomach. You can't stop thinking about them. For friendship, it's like, oh, you make me feel good. I, I don't know how I got through the world without you. I want to be by your side 24-7 experiencing life, going out, get coffee, going eat places. It looks a little bit different depending on the type of relationship it is. But for every relationship, there is going to be an infatuation period, no doubt. And generally speaking, again, that infatuation period ends after two years. And so, yes, you can be committed from the get-go to a relationship. But your commitment level is going to be clouded just a little bit for those first two years because of this infatuation. Because you have not yet seen them through every season of life. You have not yet seen them and how they react to situations. And so I say all this to say this. Yes, you can be committed to a relationship from the get-go. Yes, you can say, all right, I want to love you in this way. I want to be, I want our relationship to develop in this manner. But there's going to be an infatuation period. And that infatuation period is going to cloud your level of commitment for a little while. And generally generally speaking, that infatuation period is two years. Uh, so yeah, you just have to keep all that in mind. But again, if you're intentional, and there's that word again, one of my favorite words, if you're intentional in developing the relationship, developing the level of intimacy that you want to have in your relationship, I don't see why your relationship can't be successful, but you have to be intentional. You have to be present. You have to be intentional. You have to be committed. You have to not be in love, but you have to be willing to love. So, yeah, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm a little bit passionate about this entire topic. So, <laughs> but... <laughs> Let's move on to talk about a two's compatibility with the with each of the nine types. I'm so glad that you have chosen to come along with me in another season of restoration. Season one was so great. And I think that in the second season, uh, it's important to focus on relationships. And so I also want to challenge you in the second season that you'll be intentional about showing love to your significant other, family and friends. Let's talk a six's compatibility with each of the nine types. Um, but before I talk about that um, and I give you the guidelines of um, what, how a six is com compatible with each of the nine types, I, I want to remind everyone what compatibility within the Enneagram is. So when it comes to understanding one's, one a type's compatibility with another type, it's important to know that it's not about which types can or cannot coexist together, but it's about what aspects of a relationship between two types are naturally um, and innately good. And then what aspects of um, that relationship will need some work from in order for that relationship to be a healthy relationship. Um, and as I always say, the, 
the thing that really makes two people compatible is not what I say here, but and it's not about what anything you find on the internet. It's not a, a love quiz, but what really makes two people compatible is um, the shared desire, the shared goal to working on a relationship, to working to a common goal within a relationship to say, all right, we each individually want to make this a healthy relationship. How can we come together as a couple and get to that goal of having a healthy friendship, of having a, health, a healthy dating relationship, of having a healthy marriage life. That's what makes two people compatible, that willingness. Um, and again, it, it's a throwback to what um, the teacher said in the TikTok video of the difference of being in love and too loving. Once you reach that moment of, okay, life is not great, our relationship is messy, but I want to learn how to love you, then that's what makes two people really compatible. Because once you move out of that phase of being in love, which psychology experts um, tend to say that um, that phase of being in love is typically two years. Um, so if you know, after two years, you know, you're, start, you're starting to lose the butterflies in your stomach and, you know, it's very easy for that person to irritate you. And so you have to find this medium of, okay, how can I love you? I want to love you. And it's not all everything you do annoys me. No, it's everything you do annoys me, but I still want to love you. How can we make this work? And so if you're moving past that, what is called the infatuation period of two years, and then you just don't feel like it's necessary to work on the relationship, then you're probably not compatible. But like I said, the thing that really makes two people, no matter what Enneagram type you are, no matter what Myers-Briggs type you are, no matter any personality test you are, what really makes two people compatible is their shared desire to making the relationship a healthy relationship. All right. So, but let me give you this general understanding of the sixes compatibility with each of the uh, types. All right. And again, th this tends to be the longest segment of the episode. So I might sound a little bit robotic because I'm going to make sure I cover everything. So I'm really reading from my notes. All right. So forgive me if it sounds too robotic and too monotone at times. I just want to make sure we get through it fairly quickly so that way it doesn't take too much time of the episode all right so let's start off with a six and one in the six and one relationship there is a lot of room for relaxation because each type can count on the other to do their part more so often this often the decision maker in the relationship because they are more sure of themselves than sixes tend to be Ones bring a sense of reason and mental clarity, the ability to think clearly under pressure and to come to firm decisions quickly. Ones have a concern for order and consistency for logic and elegance that is sometimes lacking in the six. Sixes have the ability to connect with people in a more direct and human way than ones tend to, tend to do. Sixes bring warmth, more emotional responsiveness and availability, generosity and playfulness that can be endearing and can make the one think twice about their certitudes and positions. While this is such a reciprocally good relationship, there's also a bad to the good. Increasing stress causes the one to become more critical and judgmental of everyone, including themselves. Ones begin to feel that others are not mature 
and meticulous enough, which creates resentment and accusations with constant bickering, which can, can be extremely wearing on the six more than it is on the one. For the six, increasing stress comes, causes them to become increasingly emotionally reactive, worrying and insecure, looking for their partner to be the bulwark of stability and fairness. But instead, they, what they find is a critical one which drives them deeper into their feelings of anxiety of anxiety and insecurity. If tensions in this relationship continue to build, the six will become more and more defensive and evasive. Sixes and twos are highly dutiful and take their responsibilities, responsibilities toward each other very seriously. However, they each have a different emphasis. Two's primary focus is on building intimacy and positive feelings between themselves and others. Sixes, on the other hand, focus on building a foundation of security, a sturdy platform of hard work and trust that everyone can count on. One of the main potential areas of, for problems in this relationship has to do with control and autonomy, being too close and being too far apart. Uh, another part of the problem has to do with a lower functioning six's lack of self-confidence and their ability to be decisive in the decision-making process. As sixes become more reactive, they are likely to impulsively take almost any action just to relieve their anxieties, anxieties momentarily. It is at these times that twos begin to offer more help and advice or to issue quote-unquote orders as a way as a way to empower the six to help them through their anxiety however sixes usually perceive the two's help as intrusiveness and undermining of their self-confidence which they the six resent on the flip side lower functioning twos think that there's no such thing as too much intimacy however sixes are more mixed feelings which their mixed feelings and Inconsistency only drives the two crazy and taps into the two's fear of rejection. This couple can become enmeshed in a bad child punishing parent drama that can ultimately be fatal to the relationship and be the real mutual and the real mutual respect that was potentially founded on. The six and three pairing is not a common pairing, but they have common goals which brings these two together. Both are practical and want to achieve tangible things in the world. They also bring different qualities to the relationship. Threes bring hard work, optimism, energy, a desire to communicate and connect with people. Sixes bring grounding, industrious hard work, perseverance in difficult times, and personal loyalty, loyalty to the three. Threes pick up on the sixes' compassionate quality and learn to open their own hearts more deeply to the underprivileged and the unfortunate, and the three helps bolster the sixes' confidence and develop their self-esteem. Sixes offer support to threes that allows threes not to feel smothered, and they help threes become part of something bigger than themselves. In this relationship, respect for each other can grow as each continues to discover the other's good qualities and each has what the other needs. However, unless the relationship is healthy and well stabilized, they can tend to bring the worst characteristics in, in themselves and in each other. Furthermore, their, their different coping styles can get on each other's nerves by reminding them of their own weak spots. To a six, three seem to be 
inflated and grandiose and to a three sixes seem to be nervous and reactive loose cannons. At the worst, both can become dishonest, evasive, and covert about their own actions and feelings. They can deteriorate into a relationship of robotic functioning in which real feelings are not discussed and both develop social lives away from the other. Both sixes and fours are highly emotional people and both often feel insecure around people. In this relationship, they each can bring to each other the feeling that they are kindred souls connected by their feelings of abandonment and a certain distrust of others. Fours bring sensitivity, sensuality, and the ability to express emotions openly, including the feelings that sixes often need to learn. Fours give sixes the sense that they are needed helping to give sixes more confidence in the ability to cope with things. Sixes bring hard work, perseverance, perseverance, practicality, loyalty, and concern with security to the relationship. Sixes like being practical, and they often provide fours with a platform of some kind to develop their creativity as well as the time and support they may need to work thorough, work through their emotional issues. This pairing creates steadiness and daring, the balance and the ability to fill in the gaps for each other, both in their own development and in practical affairs. However, both types, when they are in lower levels, tend to be emotionally reactive, critical of others, pessimistic, and can feel overwhelmed. While they may not often talk about it, they may test each other in various ways in an attempt to discover how loyal the other will be to them. Both may begin to subtly withdraw attention and affection from each other as a way of defending against their hurt of potential abandonment should it should it take place. Another potential trouble spot for the four and six relationship is each other's tolerance for change. Fours are more interested in change, but sixes tend to be more conservative and resistant to change. Fours complain that sixes aren't free-spirited and romantic enough where sixes complain that fours are too undependable and act too much on whims and aren't emotionally stable enough. Both are reactive and conflicts can escalate quickly. Misunderstandings can lead to projections and massive overreactions. While both sixes and fives are, are oh, excuse me, while both sixes and fives are mental types, there are still significant differences between them. Both respect detail, factual objectivity, and accuracy, craftsmanship, and the ability to analyze situations without uncertain personal opinions or biases. The five and six pairing also can be highly effective in dealing with crises, crises because both are attuned to danger and to bringing their expertise to solve problems. Now, fives tend to be more skeptical than sixes. However, they are accepting of sixes, changing needs for independence with connection. Uh, they are patient with the sixes' uncertainty. The sixes' devotion and understated caring can break through the fives' tendency to isolate. Thus, fives and sixes as a pair tend to have a symbiotic intellectual relationship of doubt and decision questions and answers, problems solved and problems discovered that can be endlessly stimulating. 
The problem for this relationship is that fives and sixes tend to think in diametrically opposite ways and often are on the opposite side of the fence in their conclusions. Sixes tend to look to precedents for guidance about how to proceed, whereas fives tend to take greater intellectual leaps of the imagination and to consider less or not at all what has been the received wisdom or common consensus of opinion. Without intentionality and hard work, this pair of emotional opposites might feel they were better off as colleagues than intimate partners. One wants to put out fires, whereas the other wants to play with the matches. The double six pairing is a pairing of two people who each understand the other very deeply and make a point of trying to understand what they don't understand. The double six couple has a sense of shared secrets and values, a sense of intellectual stimulation and questioning that they both find useful and stimulating. And trust is an extremely important aspect of this relationship. Once trust has been established, it allows them to relax and enjoy themselves as they do with few others. As an individual, a six is not adept to talk to at talking about their feelings directly. So in a double six pairing, this only this is only amplified and their feelings and attitudes are mostly expressed in the actions and in the depth of their dedication and steadfastness. The problem with the double six relationship is that they tend to be emotionally reactive. They they tend to become edgy and argumentative with each other. And once a spirit of negativity or scarcity scarcity enters the picture, their fears can begin to feed off of each other. In the lower levels, there can be an openly worried, semi-hysterical atmosphere that keeps everyone on edge with nervous pessimism. And yet, it is difficult to break the pattern because so many of the double sixes' fears are irrational and based on speculations about the future. There is no way to settle them logically until the future happens. Double six couples, therefore, tend to wear each other out with negativity, worrying, suspicion, and eventually mistrust of each other. Accusations and feelings of betrayal or lack of support can be part of the picture as this couple soars and finds it almost impossible to reestablish trust in the old friendly, playful spirit that they once had. The six and seven are both mental types, and there can be a great deal of mental stimulation in this pairing. These two types offer many areas in which they reinforce each other and some areas in which they, with which the strengths of one counterbalance the limitations of the other. Sevens are usually entertaining and tend to lift the spirits of sixes. Sevens are good at generating new ideas while sixes are good at mastering the practical steps that are necessary to get things done. Sevens also help sixes put fear and limitation into perspective and sometimes move beyond them entirely. In intimate relationships, the balance exists that sixes are regulators and sevens are the stimulators. They can keep each other moving forward by allowing the other to counterbalance their own limitations. To this visionary functionary mix, sixes bring commitment and loyalty to the seven, often an expertise and groundedness that the seven comes to trust and rely on implicitly as well as a strong grip on reality and what can be accomplished within given parameters. 
Sevens bring a driving sense of optimism and possibility, high energy, a sense of adventure. They bring a fearlessness with regard to failure. They can teach sixes how to be resilient and how not to fear the future, while sixes can teach sevens the difference between optimism and pipe dreams. Despite how well sixes and sevens can reinforce each other's strengths, they are when they are healthy and the average to lower levels, the picture can shift quickly. Sixes are essentially interested in security and predictability, foreseeing problems and building procedures to prevent future uncertainty. They are aware of limitations and why things cannot be done or at least done easily. Sevens, by contrast, are about seeking happiness and relief from increasing frustration or anxiety. They are about trying new things, seeing new possibilities, and overcoming limitations. They do not want to hear about problems or obstacles. They want things to be done that they want things to be done the day before yesterday. Another problem for this couple is that sixes very much want to find someone with whom they can have long-term commitment. Whereas sevens tend to be fearful of long-term commitment and enter in, into them somewhat reluctant, reluctantly. This, in turn, leads sixes to wonder if sevens can be relied on. And to seven, sixes live a life of limits and rules that the seven feels are restrictions largely are imaginary and self-imposed. In a six and seven relationship, these two opposing philosophies reflect the very different expectations sixes and sevens have from life and from a relationship. And unless they can be reconciled, it will be difficult for this couple to remain one. Although sixes and eights can build an extraordinarily strong, long-lasting relationship that is rooted in defensive view of the world, timing is a big issue in this relationship. Sixes think in real time, whereas eights are future-minded. Timing is probably the biggest difference in this coupling, but both have deep trust issues and feel that the world is selfish, untrustworthy, and highly unpredictable. In this relationship, sixes act as the advisor to eights who tend to take the lead and provide the audacity and vision that the six sometimes lacks. The lack of trust and respect and constant testing from each other is the source to this relationship's end. The six and the nine coupling is one of the most common and stable relationships. While each type is very different, they both desire similar things. Sixes desire security and predictability, and nines desire stability and, and autonomy. Both the nine and the six want their lives to be built on solid, dependable values. Each type propels the other forward. Nines offer sixes rest and relaxation to the often neurotic six. And sixes offer nines the courage to find their voice in the world. Because both types dislike change and love the familiarity, they will put off confrontations until they are pushed to the limit, which is the problem for this relationship. The idea for this, for this relationship is that familiarity equals security, but that doesn't mean that there is absolutely no change in this relationship. But when change comes, it is slow and methodical. All right, so a lot of information.
a lot of stuff that has been covered. Um, but now is the most important part of the um, episode within the series, and it's the reconnection moment. Again, as always, I want to remind everyone that when I talk about reconnection, I'm talking about, of course, I'm talking about um, reconnecting with estranged relationships. Uh, so maybe I haven't seen your father in 10 plus years. I'm talking about that reconnection, but I'm also talking about the reconnection of yourself. I'm talking about reconnecting with people who you see on a daily basis, but you feel like there is an aspect of your relationship that is missing. I'm talking about reconnecting with yourself when you feel like there's a part of you that's missing, reflecting on yourself and say, how can I get this piece of me back? Reconnection is not just for the estranged, but it's for ourselves and it's for it's for the relationships that we interact with on a daily basis. But it's as always, it's still for the estranged relationships as well. So keep that in mind. Um when I talk about relationship reconnecting, being reconnected in relationships, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding that missing piece within yourself, finding that missing piece within your daily interactions between people who you see every day in those relationships, as well as finding the missing piece between your estranged relationships with family, friends, or loved ones. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about reconnections. All right. And so with no further ado, let, let me just talk to um, the sixes. So if you're not a type six, you can, you can zone out, you can tune out for a couple moments here. All right. And so for sixes, in order for you to become become reconnected with yourself, you must first ideologically understand that there is a such thing as too much fear. And that it's not too hard to start to think productively that th this, this fogginess of how to think productively is just an imagination within your mindset that you can disband that fog. You can make it, you can bring clarity to how to start to think productively. So in practicing this and the practical understanding of this, um, just start practicing lessening your fears. Say something like, okay, that's, when you feel a fear coming on, that's unreasonable. Say, oh, that's unreasonable. That would never happen. And if it did happen, the odds of it happening to me are 10 million and one. I think one in 10 million. Um, all right. So just begin to practice lessening your fears. And as well as Google tips and tricks, YouTube videos, read books on how to productively think. That's how you can become reconnected with yourself. Understanding and practicing that there is a thing is too much fears. Understanding and practicing that it's easier when you think to productively think. All right, so if you're not a six, if you're one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, or nine, I want you to zone back in and listen to me for a second. Becoming reconnected for you with the six is the same ideological understanding and practically it looks similar to what it looks like for a six. All right. 
again, understand that a six thinks that there's no such thing as too much fear and that it's hard for them to begin to think productively. So practically, if you're at one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, or nine, I want you to begin to practice helping the six you know to lessen their fears and help them to learn ways to think productively, okay? And that will bring some great reconnection within your relationship. Well, that is it for this week's episode of Enneagram Restored Podcast. Um, thank you again for listening. Um, and don't miss next week's show. Um, it is the second to last episode of the Reconnected Relationship Series. And it is also the last of the nine types that we have yet to discuss. And that's type seven. So next week we'll talk about um, how type sevens can become reconnected um and then we'll end the reconnected relationship series with a reflection episode on the head types all right so you don't want to miss the next two episodes of the series it's going to be great we're going to end in a bang and then we're going to call it a series and then we're going to move into a crash course on the enneagram I can't remember. I think the after the series, I think the next episode is going to be the, a crash course on the Enneagram subtypes. And then we'll move into a crash course over the Enneagram groups. And then we'll do a season two finale. And then we'll see you again um, in season three when that might be. I'm not quite sure. Um, but get you more information on that as this season winds down. Um, the last couple two or three episodes of the season all right so um don't forget to follow and subscribe to enneagram start podcast on apple podcast spotify and on instagram and remember the enneagram doesn't define you but it does bring restoration it helps reshape your thinking and habits